Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and Healthy Again Connie (laughs) is going to tell us all about Carrie Culberson. But before that, if you have ever thought about starting a podcast because you're like, wow, these girls barely know what they're doing, we think that you should. And to do so, you should use Zencaster. Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com. They have studio quality sound, HD video, and automatic post-production, all in the comfort and safety of your own browser. All you got to do is use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. Yeah. We are back in, back home this week in the U.S. And quite literally for me back home because this case takes place in Blanchester, Ohio, which is not very far from me without giving my exact details. What's the name of the city? Blanchester? (laughs) It sounds funny. It sounds made up. It's not made up. It's a real place. It's real rural Ohio. Rural place. Yeah, no, it just sounded, that sounds like a pretend name. No, it's a small town. It's close to, I'm very very protective over these areas, Meg. These are my (laughs) places. These are my people. This is a listener request, so without further ado, we are going to talk about the disappearance of Clarissa Culberson. Your weekly trigger warnings are domestic violence, murder, yeah, Clarissa, yeah, Clarissa Ann Culberson, Carrie to everyone who knew her, was born on July 31st, 1974. She was described as someone who was truly something special. She was bubbly, genuine. Carrie graduated from high school in 1992. In school, she was considered athletic. She was pretty. She was popular. She participated in soccer, track, volleyball, softball, cheerleading, choir, and band. Busy girl. After high school, she went to the University of Cincinnati at their Claremont campus for two years before going to Moeller Beauty School to become a nail technician. She had originally had a job at a nail salon in Cincinnati, but the drive was too much because that drive to Cincinnati from up here is a beast. It's no fun. So she took two, she took two part-time jobs at two different hair salons in Wilmington to make up for it. During school, she rented a house with a few girlfriends in a nearby town called Midland, but she wanted to save money, so she moved back in with her mom and her 15-year-old sister, Christina. She stayed athletic and involved in sports even after she graduated. She worked out every day. She played on various volleyball and soccer teams. She seemed like she really could have done anything in the world that she wanted. But sadly, Carrie had a dark cloud looming over her in the form of her boyfriend, Vincent Duan. A couple of years prior to 1986, he was serving jail time for shooting one of his friends in the face. Ugh. Mm-hmm. The kind of friends you want to have. The man would later refuse to testify against him, so the charges were dropped. But while he was in jail, Carrie decided to visit him because she felt like maybe he needed a friend. Dewan was a year ahead of her in school, and they didn't exactly run in the same circles. So naturally, when they started a relationship, especially under the circumstances that it was under, people found it very odd. So she didn't know him. She knew of him. Like, they weren't friends in school. I read in a few different articles that it was a friend of a friend who knew him and talked about how he was in jail. So that's how that started. When 
Carrie first started dating him, she was living with her friend Cecily Cook. She, Cecily especially found it weird that the two had struck up a romance. She said that her and Carrie were in student council. They were involved in a lot of activities. And Duan was more on the outside of things. He wasn't involved in much, which going to interject for a second because I believe that after high school, the activities that you were involved in in high school, they don't really matter. And I think in our experience, like it's very small town mentality and Blanchester fits that mold because it's very small rural Ohio. It's similar to like where I live now to where we grew up. There's only like 4,300 people currently that live there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's just a small area. So yes, you did <laughs> sticks with you longer. Yeah. Than when you're, if you were like somewhere bigger, I gotcha. But I'm here to say you are not your high school activities, guys. That doesn't determine your character or how worthy you are of being in relationships. But I digress because I'm going to be eating my words about how shitty of a person this guy is. But I just wanted to say for all of the other kids who weren't involved in things in high school, that doesn't mean shit after you get out of high school. Truly, it does not. Carrie's other friend, Kim Titus, echoed the same sentiments regarding Duan. They just didn't understand it. But what was more shocking to them was how nice he was when they actually met him. When he went to Kim Titus's wedding, he b- brought her and all of the bridesmaids flowers. He treated Cecily to dinner when him and Carrie first started dating so they could all get to know each other better. She said that he seemed like an all right guy and that he was the most polite guy she had ever met. Which abusers, we know that is usually what other people say. And family of his would agree. They said that he was a great guy. He was polite. He was sensitive. They even went as far as to say, like, when he was growing up, he was so sensitive, he would cry at movies like Wizard of Oz. He went, they would say he went above and beyond for his friends. When he was an adult, he bought a friend a puppy just because they wanted one. And That sounds like you're overcompensating for something. And well, Carrie's mom would even say that if you met him today, not knowing anything, you would think he was the nicest person, the type of person that would do anything for anyone. But unfortunately, this was not the side of Dewan that Carrie got. The two had a very toxic, volatile relationship. And for Carrie, it was almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. In the year 1996 alone, the Blanchester police were involved with Carrie and Duan four separate times. On one occasion, officers were called because Duan was smashing out the windows of Carrie's car while she sat in it. Uh-huh. But Carrie refused to press charges, which is usually how these situations yeah. went. Carrie would never sign the official complaint documents. She would have black eyes. Witnesses saw him physically assault her on numerous occasions, especially if she was talking to her male friends. He persistently called her at work, sometimes five to ten times during a shift. In July of 1996, Carrie's mom, Deborah, made her press assault charges against him because he hit her in the head with a space heater, causing a gash that required five staples to close. When he took her to her mom's house to get medical attention, she, he was trying to tell them, oh, she fell and she hit her head. And her mom was like, bullshit, that's not what happened. And Carrie literally said, I'm bleeding out. And the only thing you're worried about, like talking to Duan, is getting in trouble. And she had to be taken to the hospital by, from, by an ambulance. 
While awaiting trial for the assault charge, her mom begged her not to see him. She even tried to forbid it. But like Deborah said, she was 22. There wasn't much that she could do to prevent her daughter's communication with him. Yeah. And we know, I know specifically in cases of domestic violence, this is something that we often see. We're always holding out for the better, that things are going to get better type light what is it the light from behind the clouds or however you say it yeah yeah i know on august 16th carrie showed up at a wedding with duan and toe naturally her friends were like whoa what the hell why is he here and she told her boss desiree that it's just easier this way desiree and her husband talked to carrie about giving carrie money taking her somewhere far away from him or even flying her anywhere that she wanted to go following this wedding. Carrie told Desiree that if she left him, Dewan told her that he would kill her whole family. Desiree testified that she witnessed on many occasions the aftermath of his abuse towards Carrie. She came in with scratches on her face. She tried to tell, she tried to lie and say that she must have been scratching her face in her sleep due to allergies. When pressed to tell what really happened, she said that Dewan and her had an argument and during the argument, he wanted her to stop talking, so he put his hands over her mouth so she couldn't breathe. So the scratches were literally her trying to pull her his hands down because she couldn't breathe. She d also described an incident in April of 1996 when Carrie came into work and Desiree couldn't even hug her because she had bruises all over her back because Carrie and Duan had been out and his Jeep ran out of gas. He was upset by this, and when they were standing outside the Jeep, he slammed her into the ground repeatedly, and she was severely bruised. And other friends saw the testified, like would later testify that they also saw this behavior. Several other witnesses, like I said, would later testify in court regarding the injuries that Carrie experienced at the hands of Duan. So this brings us to Monday, August 26, 1996. Carrie and Duan go to dinner, and on their way, he pulls the car over, goes to the trunk of the car, and gets a gun. He then proceeds back to the driver's seat and holds Carrie hostage for four to five hours. When she finally was able to convince her or him to drive her home, she was obviously shaken, but he calls later that night trying to get her to come over, and he repeated the same sentiment that if she tried to leave him, he would kill her entire family. And if she didn't come over, he would kill her entire family. The next day, she went to Total Image Tanning Salon and Gym. And she tells the girl that was working there what had happened the previous night against small town. Everybody knows everybody. While she was tanning, he called the tanning salon, made the, phone, made the girl take the phone to Carrie. Then he shows up, makes a scene about her tanning. And then they both leave. They, she follows him outside and they both leave the tanning salon separately. August 28th, 1996, Carrie was at a volleyball game. Duan shows up, of course. Her friends would later testify that they saw Carrie outside with him at one point and he was shaking her and she was clearly upset. She just kept shaking her head no. I guess he had traffic a traffic court thing that he wanted Carrie to go to, but Carrie didn't want to go. That's what she had told her friends. He wanted to take her home, but she told him she was going out with her friends afterwards and she was going to be the DD, so she couldn't leave her friends hanging. After the game, the girls all go out for a few drinks. Her friends would say that regardless to what Duan would later say, she Carrie only had one beer that night. He shows up around 9 or 9.30 and once again confronts Carrie outside. And I think this is something like him 
persistently approaching her outside, pulling her away from her friends to confront her. This is this says a lot about what type of person he is. He isolates her to where she doesn't have anyone that has her back. I mean, that like that's physically right there that can inter, you know, interject. Yeah. Because he's a shithead. After the girls left the bar, she had her friend Cecily drive by his house around 11 o'clock before they dropped their friend Tanya off to make sure that he was home. Both times they drove by, his black Mustang was parked out front. Cecily dropped Carrie off at her house around 1130 that night. And I should add, she only lives about three blocks from Duan. Not even 10 minutes later, Carrie's neighbor, Kimberly Leonard, saw Carrie's red CRX back out of her driveway and pull away slowly without the lights on. It seemed weird to Kimberly because she thought that Carrie would have no reason to sneak in and out of her house because she's 22. But to me, if I was living at home with my parents and it's like if I turned the lights on and they were it was shining into the window, I probably would have pulled out without my lights on too. Just sort of a courtesy thing. Or, or you didn't want your parents to know that you were going, going somewhere. Yeah. Going to see the one person that they don't want her around. Yeah, exactly. You can still be an adult and your parents will still worry about, especially in this circumstance. Exactly. At 1230 in the morning, so not even an hour later, Billy Joe Brown lived across the street from Duan. She got off work about an hour prior and was just settling in for the night. She said that as she was laying down, she heard loud voices outside. And when she looked out of the window, she saw a red car parked at the intersection between their houses. She gets up to go look out of her kitchen window and she sees a young woman, presumably Carrie, running through her yard from a man. She said that because it was so bright outside with the streetlights and it was a full moon, she was able to make out that the man was Duan. The woman she said she had seen a few times a week over at his house, which is why it's, it was assumed that it was Carrie. The girl was screaming, help me. And Dewan was chasing behind her screaming, I told you next time I'd kill you, you fucking bitch. She said that Dewan was able to catch up with the woman and she witnessed him continually punching her while the woman was trying to get away. Now, Brown didn't have a phone in her house before everyone's like screaming at their wherever you're listening. Like, why didn't she call the police? She didn't have a phone. So she ran to wake up her husband who unfortunately told her not to worry about it and not to get involved because drinking was probably the root of the issue. She then heard tired wheel, looked back out the window, and the couple and the car were both gone. This would be the last time that Carrie Culverson and her car would ever be seen. The next morning, Deborah woke up and got ready to leave for work when she noticed that Carrie wasn't in her bed. She looked outside to discover her red Honda CRX was missing as well. She was immediately alarmed because Carrie wasn't the type of kid to stay. And she's not a kid. She's an adult. She wasn't the type of person to stay out all night and not let her mom know. She hadn't taken a change of clothes after the volleyball game. So Deborah woke up Carrie's sister, Christina, and the two of them drove around town looking for her car. Because again, small town, if she was just out or stayed somewhere, they could drive around the town and... They would be able yeah, to and she probably had places that she you might find her like, oh, she yeah. likes to get breakfast here or she likes to go check in at wherever she's working. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like she's going to her friend's house. She talked with Carrie's friends and they confirmed they dropped Carrie off at 1130. But Deborah said she never heard her come in. After calling Carrie's dad, her ex-husband, Roger, by noon they were at the police station following a police report. Richard Payton, the police chief, 
knew Carrie and knew that there had been issues in the relationship. Like I said, there had been four instances that There's year. Where record. Police, yes. Police everywhere were people everywhere were searching for Carrie. The police department was short staffed because it's Labor Day weekend. So Peyton requested to fly over the area with a helicopter just to check for any signs of her car. He requested a sheriff detective from Clinton County to come in. The Culbersons didn't feel like enough was being done to find Carrie. So they reached out to the mayor. And by Tuesday, September 3rd, the Blanchester police and the Clinton County Sheriff's Office sat down with the county prosecutor to really get a start on the case. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly what they thought happened to Carrie because the next day, a search warrant was issued to search a junkyard owned by Lawrence Baker. Vincent Duan's stepfather. I feel like before I go on, I need to give you a little information regarding the Baker family. Lawrence Baker was a legend around Blanchester. There was a politician who was running for like a, a city office and they were talking about crime in the Blanchester area. And he referred to them as the Blanchester Mafia. Okay. <laughs> in a town of 4,300. Come on. He was perceived as being like the godfather type, sometimes a bully. He owned a scrapyard that used to keep a lion out back. Yes, like, like a real, a real lion. lion. Like the, the Lion King of Ohio. Yes, exactly. He also owned a taxi and a tow service. Oh, and police chief Peyton was a good friend of his. What? But he knew, okay, so police chief Peyton knows that there's a, like a record here like he's aware of the issues but he's also like friends with dewan's stepdad That's look i'm about me. yeah and i'm about to make you real pissed off about this detail I'll, right here i love it when you do that to me yeah so with that being said police showed up with a search warrant to his scrapyard on september 3rd and it was first search with a bloodhound the bloodhound showed a lot of interest in the pond that was near the back of the property it really wanted to get into that water. Officer Ben Lunsford Jr., the handler from the Claremont Sheriff's Office, testified that it either contained a scent of Carrie or had come in contact with a person who, like her person, like she had been in or around that pond. Lunsford suggested that the pond should be drained the very next day. So later that day, they brought in a cadaver dog and the cadaver dog also showed a lot of interest in the pond, swimming around barking literally continuously going back to this pond loretta funk of the brown county sheriff's office testified that either a body or part of a body was in that pond she also recommended that the pond be drained despite the reactions from both dogs police chief richard payton declined an offer from the clear the clearmont county sheriff's office to guard the location for the night an even bigger surprise came when the property wasn't secured at all. Why? That is, Why? That is literally, and I say this like alluding to a future, that is literally the million dollar question. They're like, we'll guard it. We can handle this. No, it'll be fine. Yeah. The next day, the pond was drained. Miraculously, nothing was found. But leading from a path to the pond footprints in the mud were found it appeared that the prince entered the path and walked to the center of the pond because i should add it's like a it's not it's like a you know what i mean it's not like a pond it's not like a swamp pond where there's just like some yeah, water it, yeah it's not quite like what you had at your house so we couldn't like, swim into it type thing 
Okay. According to Lunsford, it looked like something went through the brush and came back out again a few times. Lunsford and two other deputies would testify that dried mud was located around the pond, even though it had never rained, like, within that time period. Still, no sign of Carrie. Dewan changed his story numerous times regarding if he saw Carrie the night of her disappearance because Deborah went to ask him, like, where's my daughter? Yeah. First, it, he told investigators he never saw her. And then he was like, I, she honked and waved and she looked like she was drunk. She was just driving by, which her friends were like, no, she had one beer. She wasn't drunk at all. Like, and not like even he close. was let, not that he he would have let her just drive away. That was his the third time he said he only talked to her for a couple of minutes. They got into an argument and she drove away when he told her that he didn't love her anymore. Yeah. And okay. I'm like, sounds like it might have went the other way around. Yeah. And a lot of people genuinely thought and honestly still think Carrie just packed up and left. That she was hiding from Duan, but her family knew that if she would have left like that, they would have, they would know where she was. Her friends said if she wanted to leave like that, we would have been the ones to help her disappear. Yeah. She was never just going to run away and never speak to her family again. Missing posters were posted everywhere, oftentimes with domestic violence posters next to them that would read, some boys break more than hearts. At one point, a red Honda was found in a river, but ironically, it wasn't Carrie's. It was in 1985 instead of 1989. Oh, that would be awful. Yeah. Like you think you find something and it's just not mm -hmm. quite that. It seemed like a dead end until an unexpected witness came forward. Lori Baker, the ex-wife of Tracy Baker, who was Dewan's half-brother, testified. She said that Dewan, she saw Dewan the night of Carrie's disappearance. She said that around 3.15 in the morning, Dewan knocked on Tracy's door. She said that he was wearing no shirt, no shoes, just a pair of jeans, and there was blood smeared on his arms, chest, and pants. She could see that it was him because there was a motion light at the back, and it was shining right on him. She then testified to witnessing seeing Duan and Tracy talking at the front porch, and then both of them left. Prior to them leaving, both took a, or Duan took a shower, and then he left with a gun and several garbage bags. She woke up again around 6 a.m. when the men returned to the house. Both men allegedly had blood on their clothing. She said that she saw Tracy wiping blood off of his boots. Blood samples would let her be, later be taking, taken from his boots, truck, and a towel, but the samples would be determined that they were too degraded for testing if they had used a chemical to continuously clean them, which she said that she took them bleached, like she took them bleached because that's what she was told to do. Both men showered and then Duan left for work. She said that she was asked to wash the bloody clothes. And later that same day, so the first day that uh, Carrie was missing, Duan made it a point to call Carrie's job just to be like, hey, is Carrie there? And she wasn't even due for a couple hours. Oh, I just wanted to say hi before I, I was on my lunch break type thing. But like we know she never came into work. Around 1 o'clock that afternoon, Duan went to the house of Robert Shelton, just a friend of his, to ask about car ramps. When Shelton told him that he didn't have any, but he could ask a friend because he has friends that have them, Duan was like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I don't want a lot of people to get involved in this. I wonder why. 
Then enter Robin Eden. Okay, I have to say, there's some really weird timelines, like with girlfriends and shit going on with these Baker siblings. Lori Baker was at their house, but she was like his ex-wife. And then Robin Eden was Baker's girlfriend from like the month before Carrie disappeared for like a year. And there's a lot of like wife swapping going on that isn't relevant. So I don't need Yikes. to get into it. Yeah, it's weird. So Robin testified that Tracy Baker made several comments regarding Carrie's death. He made the joke that, quote, I bet Sergeant Wells wished he would have checked the back of my rig before I left town on August 29th. So because he was a truck driver. Mm -hmm. Conveniently. Another time, Baker was taking some garbage bags out of the trunk of his car. And Baker told Robin, these were some of the garbage bags left over from where we had put Carrie's body. He made jokes. There was red paint on this side of his car, like his truck. And she was like, oh, is that from Carrie's car? And he was like, yeah. But he said that when he was under questioning, he was like, oh, I just said that as a joke. I was taking trash bags That's out of the really car. Really funny joke. For yeah, sure. like I was taking trash bags out of the car. And she was like, what are those from like when you guys murdered Carrie? And he was like, shh, don't say that too loud around here. Yeah, these are leftover. He's like, but it was just a joke. It was just, I don't mean any of it. That December, a warrant was issued for a farm on Gustin Ryder Road in Warren County, which is right outside of town. The dog showed a lot of interest in a sunken area with standing water in the middle of this pasture. So this area was dug up, but only a freezer containing spoiled deer meat was found. What? In a Loretta field? Yes. So Loretta Funk testified that she did not know whether the area and the soil around the freezer were tested, but th this was the only time ever that her dog had hit and a body or something from a body was not found. And she still felt like there was something in that hole, whether it was urine or another bodily fluid. She said something from a human body was definitely in that hole besides deer meat, but... A whole freezer? So... The baker said that this freezer was full of deer meat. They kept the deer meat in the freezer to feed the lion that was at the scrapyard. I'm not making this shit up. I was like, this sounds like a bad movie. Like, it sounds like a terrible movie, but like, it's a freezer in the middle of the field. Oh, the reason they explained that was because kids had unplugged the freezer, so everything in the freezer became rancid. So they just threw the whole thing in the field? They they buried it because it smelled so bad. I was like, that sounds so made up. That sounds like you had something under there and you put a big ass freezer like, full of deer meat on top it. of it. So then if something is found, you're like, oh, look, it's just this deer meat. Did they ever look under the deer meat freezer? They pulled it out, but that's about as far as they went. They're like, oh, this is what it is. With Weird. Baker. Yeah, that's what I thought. Very suspicious. When Baker's house was searched, the first time there was blood that was found under the master bathroom sink, like it hit with the light. But when it was inspected again, there was no evidence of it. And it always seemed like these guys were one step ahead. Some would argue that maybe even they had help from the police or a specific police officer in general. Maybe someone who knew a whole lot about mm -hmm. what was going on in the police station. In March of 1997, even though there was no body and no sign of Carrie's car, 
Juwan was indicted on four counts of kidnapping Carrie. Three months later, two counts of aggravated murder were added. The trial began on July 21st, 1997. Despite the lack of a body or any decisive proof that Carrie was dead, the prosecution presented two theories. The first was that he was so obsessed with Carrie that he murdered her when he realized he could no longer control her because she was leaving him and she was making it very clear to him that she was done. The second theory was that he kidnapped and killed her to prevent her from pursuing the assault charges that he was that were, they were in saw, the process. That neighbor saw her getting well, no, she they were they hadn't went to trial from him for the other one. Her, yeah, for her him busting her head open with that space heater. Friends were called to testify for the abuse that Carrie suffered. Lori Baker was called to the stand about what she had witnessed that night. The neighbors that saw Carrie running from him that night, that saw her pull up to her house that night. And finally, Deborah Culberson testified about the horrors her daughter endured at the hands of Duan. The defense tried to prove that Carrie was still alive, and they even called witnesses to claim to have seen her after she was reported missing. Three women picked up a hitchhiker that they testified. Like these women were called to testify and they said that, yeah, she resembled Carrie. Old Lawrence Baker took the stand. Him and his wife testified that about 1 a.m. on August 29th, his wife Betty had received a phone call from Duan saying that he was at a friend's house in nearby Claremont County. And there were, because he called collect. He knocked on a lady's door, asked to use the phone called collect it's like oh that's very at one in the morning at one in the morning someone knocks on my door at one in the morning and asks to use my phone i'm like get the get out of here right now i'm not even opening the door if someone knocks on my door at one o'clock in the afternoon asking to use the phone <laughs> i'm not letting them in. no yeah absolutely not but the person and the person whose house he stopped at they were they testified saying that they observed like no blood no bruises on duan and the prosecution they were like, she was murdered after this call. Like, obviously. According to them, the phone call was because he, Duan was saying that his car wouldn't start. So Lawrence is like, oh, just let it sit and idle for a few minutes. And then if it doesn't work, give me a call back. But then they never heard back from him. So they drove the 30 minutes or so to his house around 1.30 in the morning. And they found him sleeping like a baby on the couch with the TV on. He would later change his story during cross-examination and say, maybe it was like around two when we went there, which is weird to me. Like, why would you just... From 1.30 to 2? Yeah, why would you drive at 2 in the morning? Just, just be like, your grown-ass son's car wouldn't start. He was at a friend's house. So you drove to his house? Yeah. To make sure he got home? That's a little tough. And the his... night that his girlfriend mysteriously goes missing? Yeah, he happened to call go to a like, stranger's house to call collect it's oh you're making an alibi that's exactly what you're doing right now in the end it didn't matter because on august 7th 1997 although duan was found not guilty of premeditated murder he was found guilty on the charge that he had killed carrie after he kidnapped her and on three of the four kidnapping charges Three months later, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, plus nine years for the kidnapping charges. And there's a lot of other random shit that's happened, like, in between this. But 
the biggest argument was no body, no crime. Yeah. Then they've never found Carrie or her car. Never. Reminds me of like the little miss when they buried her in Kyra's car. That's exactly what I thought. That's what I thought. I was reading the, because this was huge. You can read all of the court testimony, all of, like all of it. And it's insane. It's listen, reading detailed counts of abuse of what she experienced, like Tracy Barker. Tracy Baker was also charged with obstruction of justice, tampering with evidence, and gross abuse of a corpse. Lawrence Baker was also charged in Carrie's disappearance with obstruction of justice. He was acquitted due to lack of evidence, but Tracy Baker was found guilty. Why was Tracy found guilty, but he wasn't? Because Tracy Baker had Lori Baker saying, this is what I saw him do, had the firsthand witness account. And there was no evidence that Lawrence had anything to do with that. It was all Kirsten. Okay. I thought that was weird too, though. (coughs) Excuse me. Richard Payton of the Blanchester Police Force was also charged in his role in allowing the junkyard pond to not be secured the night after the cadaver dog sniffed and picked up what they believed to be her scent, allowing someone to remove the contents before it drained the next day. Because that is what the general consensus belief is her body was in that pond mm-hmm. and then they removed when they like Peyton was like hey this pond is getting drained tomorrow someone went in removed her body and then disposed of her remains Peyton pled no contest to charges of mishandling the case and mishandling valuable evidence he was fired from his job these charges were pled down to misdemeanor charges, and he was found guilty of two charges of dereliction of duty. Never heard that one before. He dereliction was, of duty. He was then given a year's back pay, 960 sick hours, which took him up to full retirement with full benefits, which amounted to $86,000 for the role in Carrie's disappearance. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Oh, that's annoying. And there was, and like during, there was a lot of weird, like I said, there was a lot of weird shit that happened. Like during the trial, a woman uh, like called in and was like, I'm Carrie, innocent man shouldn't be held or shouldn't be charged for this. And they played the voice for Deborah. And she was like, that's not my fucking daughter. A you guys random lady just fun. called during the trial or like? During the trial. Yeah. That's and weird. April of 2004, a tip was called in that Carrie's remains were underneath a barn on property owned by an acquaintance of Vincent Duan. The tip was that a concrete floor was poured for the barn just a few days after Carrie disappeared. Cadaver dogs picked up what they believed to be Carrie Culbertson's scent. The concrete floor of the barn was excavated, but the search warrant was sealed so then in june of that same year authorities unsealed the warrant and we found out that there was information obtained from two informants that led to the search and one of the informants was an ex-girlfriend of duan who still corresponded with him in prison the search found duct tape hair a sock and a shirt that belonged to carrie culberson underneath the concrete Yes, but no DNA was found on the items. The family still remains hopeful that the search and new information would finally give them answers and hopefully finally give them Carrie. Two nights before the 10th anniversary of Carrie's disappearance, 
that barn mysteriously burned to the ground. After it had already been excavated? Mm-hmm. Did you excavate the whole thing or just part I th- of it? I think just the floor of it, but not like the entire area. The man who owned the property, Jared Messer, filed a lawsuit for the damages that were done. And oddly enough, while his property was being excavated, he was serving a two-year sentence for charges that weren't related to this case. But the Culbersons were awarded a multi-million dollar lawsuit in regards to how the town of Blanchester handled the investigation. Part of the settlement was that a plaque for Carrie, like of her face, a a poster essentially, Mm -hmm. would be hung in the city office until her remains were found. And I hope for their sake that like at some point they are. There's these guys talked so openly, like in one of the inmates in, that had served in prison with Duan said that he talked about killing Carrie when he his this guy was talking about how his girlfriend had cheated on him. Duan was like, oh, you can't let him do that. You got to get him before they do that. You got to punish him when they do like just Ugh. just I'm just glad that dude's locked up. And I'm a little interested how they got that sentence. I understand how, but it is really that hard is- to do. It is very hard to do. He's tried to appeal it many times, which honestly, I wouldn't. It, it, it was surprising to me, too. Like a lot of times we see this and it's, oh, we assume that this is what happened. Mm-hmm. It's not like in the little mist where the car was eventually found. Yeah. Or the, but it's there was no her remains weren't found. Her car wasn't found. No DNA of hers has ever been found. Other than the other than because oh, the. That the, there wasn't it, DNA on it. No, there was hair. There was hair. I mean, hair has mm-hmm. DNA, right? Yeah, but I don't know because they were just this whole thing is a little weird to me. But and there is a very there's a huge movement like saying that he was innocent. Duan didn't have anything to do with it. That because even though he's he's in prison for it, like they allege that because they've never found her body, so technically the case is still open. There's like a huge movement to get him released. People say that Carrie was involved in. I stumble. We talk about these rabbit holes that we fall into, and I fell into this rabbit hole about this one, and it was a, a like a chat thread almost. I felt like I was back in 2004, which is when this was happening. But it was like a blog post from like members of her family to members of his family, and it was like just going back and forth, like small town crazy shit. And it was spilling a lot of tea, but a lot of it was hearsay, so I didn't. It wasn't my place to repeat that stuff. But I think saying like she was involved in drugs and stuff is pretty anyone who knew her was like, nah, son, that wasn't her. That's not what she did. But Duan was participating in a prison dog program in 2013 when he was attacked and bitten by the dog. He lost a whole chunk of his nose. He had uh, a t- big tear ripped in his cheek. Good and dog. He, yeah, he sued. They say dogs are the best judge of character. He sued the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation for more than $25,000, but the final settlement was for $7,500 and he would drop the case. But he's in prison forever and I guess he only has one appeal left. So I don't know, but I saw a picture of it. It looked pretty gnarly. I can't wait to see. I would love to just smirk at that picture. It's not unheard of to have someone convicted of a murder with no body. It's just rare. It is rare. rare. That When you said that, I was like, oh. I'm glad they did, because obviously that guy's a full-on yes, and fudge that, head. That is what I think. I don't buy the conspiracy theories. I have been a victim of domestic violence. I know 
how that shit goes. And I talked about this a little bit in the Kellyanne Bates case that you're always waiting for like the next worst thing to happen. And you're always scared. After I got out of that relationship, my sister told, she was like, I was always scared that something like that would happen to you. I was always scared that I was going to get a phone call and it was going to be like, Connie, something's happened to Connie and worse than that already did. But the level of brainwashing and fear. And when you start, if he's, she's very tight with her family. And if he knows, she knows he's beating her abusing her yeah who knows what he's gonna do to her family and the like not signing off i did that like with an ex-boyfriend i called the police i had a restraining order on this person and i called the police and they were like do you want to press charges and i was like in your head you're like i don't want to ruin their life but Mm -hmm. so you're just not even aware of like that they're like ruining yours in that moment but you're just like i don't want to i just want it to go away but it doesn't go away unless you like make big steps like that. Yeah, because you, when you, and it's nobody's fault. Like you said, you've been there. I've been there. I've been there where it's like, no, I don't want to do that. But then that gives them more power over you because they know that you won't know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's scary. And it's, scary. it's just too ironic. Like in what good police work would the chief of police, if there's two, not one, but two dogs being like, there is something under here. Like we, there's something down there. In what world would you, that's a crime scene. Tape the whole damn thing off. No one's coming in. No one's coming out. People are there. But, and that's why I was like, okay, this is, if if that situation hadn't occurred, I would be like, look, I can't say for sure. I could say it very much looks like this is what happened. But that's too much. That's too much. And I guess like Lawrence Baker told Lori Baker to lie to the police and tell her she didn't know what she saw type thing. It was like a very much he was trying to protect his kids. But dude, your kid's a piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, they can't all be winners. And I keep thinking about the thing you said about the guy with the truck. I wish he would have checked my rig. Like they have no way of telling like where he went that night. So they did. They, his travel logs after, he did leave afterwards and his travel logs showed where he went to two different places. But when they finally had a search warrant for the rig, it was clean. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's, they knew exactly what was coming. They, cause she gave, Lori Baker testified that she gave, the stuff, like some of the stuff that had like blood on it that investigators missed during their first sweep of the house, she gave that to Lawrence Baker and it was never seen again. Surprise. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it sucked. That she is found. And her I hope her cars and something is found. He owns a salvage yard. Like they can crush cars. They can do all of that. Like Yeah. Is it that kind of sound like some salvage yards are like not yeah. that great where they're just like, we're just going to bury it under a bunch of garbage. Not, they don't have like crusher things. And I don't know. Plus, based on the rig thing, like I thought maybe they did do the same thing, like in the Little Miss case where they buried the entire car they on that property. A, they buried a freaking entire freezer of rancid meat. That was and the like when you're part like, of this for me. I was like, what yeah, you bury it. Like, oh, <laughs> it's dear me that we fed our lion that we kept chained up at the in the junkyard everyone's got a junkyard yacht lion and the, i read like an article where junkyard a- lion sounds like a folk music band <laughs> <laughs> there was an article where a guy 
who grew up in the area, he said they did have a lion. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. And what, I, what if it gets loose? What if your chained up lion just gets out of there? This does have big Tiger King vibes. It does have Tiger King vibes. <laughs> just some real. It's like the dash of trash. Yeah, like, yeah. Wet. I was going to say big, like, big redneck vibes going on up in here. And it, this is something like some of the, sometimes when I talk, like, I love living in a small town. I love it. I love Ohio. I never thought I would like Ohio after, like, I was always the Indiana's better. But now that I live in Ohio, I'm like, all day, Ohio, I'm here for it. But it is easy to see in these small towns. It really is about who you know. And it's scary. Yeah, but it is scary. They definitely, it definitely has its pros and its cons. And as long as you're the right people, as long as you people that aren't willing to, you know, help other people hide your body. I don't care how many people I meet in this town. I will never help anyone. I know. We're not right. Not right of dice. We do not ride. We do not die. Not for you. Not for anyone, friends. Mm -mm. No. And I'm just like thinking in my head right now if there was any situation where I could just. If we talked about how it was a Dixie Chicks Earl situation, maybe. And even then, I don't think I could be trusted with that secret. (laughs) No one could ever know. (laughs) I can't be trusted with that. Unless it was like you or my sister, because you were the two go-to people I tell everything to. But if it were you, I'm going to tell St. Karen. And if it's St. Karen, I'm going to tell you. Three people are going to know. Look, I won't talk to anyone. That's the thing. I won't tell anyone. I won't even talk to the cops if you tell me something. But like someone tells me something, I'm going to tell you. So So hopefully. I would look at you and say, Megan, how dare you put me in this position? I'm going to keep a secret, but what is wrong with you? It's going to kill me. Like, physically wear me down and my lifespan just i have maybe five years after it's gonna this. be like that it's gonna be like broken heart syndrome where you're gonna just hit that a major stressor that the secret you have to keep and just wither away to nothing sometimes i take my adhd medicine too late in the day and i get real talkative so that could be a that could be a stressor if they were like hey connie like, what happens here i'd be like, <laughs> I am unable to filter myself at this moment. Sorry. No, or I would just start talking about something completely different and they'd be like, get this bitch out of here. We do not care about your current fixation. I would just start from the beginning of our friendship. I'd be like, <laughs> you have to know before I can tell you this, I got to tell you about this. They'd, or it'd be like, can you tell us about Megan and this? And I would think it was something different. And then you would be indicted on multiple charges not that i've done anything worth being indicted on charges no, she, she hasn't we've been we've done things that are worth being grounded into next yeah, century they're questionable for sure L- illegal i don't think so no have i the, done illegal things i'll tell okay and one i have a funny story to tell but first i'm gonna say this if you want to just start a podcast <laughs> you have to get this in here and you want Easy to use, high quality video. You can record with what is it, up to 10 people, I think. It's and growing. 
Yeah, and it's growing and their mobile platform is dropping. You can start a podcast. It literally makes it so easy that anyone can do it. Any you can record anyone from anywhere. You don't have to use those other online you don't have to interviews. Go to a studio. You don't have to go. No. Any you have to be in the same room with your co-host if that's how you choose to buy. You could just start a podcast on your own from your phone in your car. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to do that, go to Zencaster, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com slash pricing, promo code gruesome with a capital G. Start your podcast. Let us tell you know, tell us about it. But I have to tell you about the one time we almost broke the law. Okay. For the record, I did throw glass bottles off of the top of a building at a major street once. That's like the most illegal thing I've ever done. One night we were cruising around in our gang, the J Street Mafia. (laughs) Our quote unquote gang. It was like a group of six (laughs) small town dorks because we were dorks. We're cruising around and our friends were a little bit older than us. None of us were old enough to buy our own beer. So we're driving. I remember this. Okay, go ahead. We're driving through this back alley and we pass the local bar (laughs) who has their, where they stash their beer is unlocked. So I get out of the car and they're like, Connie, we'll just grab a couple cases. We're like, okay, let's do it. And I'm shaking. I was only like 16. But you did. You started just like chucking them in the back seat. But they were empty boxes. (laughs) They were empty boxes of beer that we thought, yeah, for sure this bar (laughs) stores full cases of beer just behind the building. In the summer. Like, in the summer. And I remember looking. If Again, if you are a patron, you'll be able to see the space. I remember looking back to the car and what was like a chevy cavalier what did he drive like a white cavalier it's like a I, small I, it, was like, it was a very small car there were too many people in it and i turned and i look and i'm like oh <laughs> and i grab them these are light and then i was like they're empty well yeah you got a two in the car and the person in the middle opened them and they're like there's nothing in me <laughs> just empties so yeah. it was the time i recycled for a local <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty hilarious. I'm well, sweaty. I occasionally, I occasionally remember that story, and every time I do, I'm like, <laughs> what, an, what a bunch of idiots. But we weren't cool. This is why I say it doesn't matter what you do in high school. We used to meet at our high school when everyone else was, like, doing, like, whatever popular kids do. And we had a group of, like, 30 of us, and we would just play dodgeball on the tennis, on the tennis courts. courts. Yep. Also, and, one of the perks of a small town is like, you can do dumb stuff <laughs> because your high school's not all locked up. Like your sports aren't locked up. I did. I feel like you were always like punk rock. Like you always just <laughs> did whatever the fuck you wanted. Like you never you. gave a shit what people think, thought. And I started my career in middle school and high school really trying to be one of those popular girls. Like I'm going to wear Abercrombie. I'm going to wear all, all the cool stuff. And then I met Megan, who I fell in love with instantly. It was love at first sight. And she taught the tie I was wearing with my button. (laughs) And she really, because like, I liked all of that music. I just was like real quiet about it. And I was obsessed with Fall Out Boy, like not Fall Out Boy now, but Grand Theft Autumn from another Cork Tree Fall Out Boy. And we bonded and I was going to look for jobs one day and Meg was like, can I go? Because like, I don't want to have a job. 
And I don't uh, have a car or a cell phone. Can I come? Do this and literally, anything? we were never apart after that. Yeah. <laughs> like, love, love it. First car ride with the windows down, blaring music. But I will, like, and that's, I went from, like, constantly worrying about what people thought about me to constantly worrying what people thought about me, but I was happy. There's <laughs> less pressure. Less pressure. And the boys were so much cuter. <laughs> it was like a whole new team I could pick from. <laughs> Lots of swoopy hair happening. Lots of swoopy hair. <laughs> Lots of swoopy hair. <sighs> Memories. Memories. I think we could leave them on a visual of boys with swoopy hair. I think that's fair. Yeah, I have to do a really quick before we're done. I have to do a feel-good follow-up because there's this woman named Obami. Oh, Amvati Devi. She was just like in India walking along the trains. She saw that a train track was broken, ran up because she could hear a train coming, used her red sorry to flag the train down. The train was able to stop, saving like 150 people's lives. Whoa, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Good yeah. for her. It said she waved her flowing red garment in front of the approaching train because part of the train line was faulty. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I would even notice. Yeah. I was walking the tracks. I was like, oh, no, this train's broken. I'd be like, oh, that's weird. Wonder what yeah. happened there. And then they just keep skipping down the tracks. So that's pretty yeah. cool. And she said that she had heard a lot that red stands for danger. So that's where she took off her thing and was like throwing it around. A smart woman. We love to see it. The driver offered her 100 rupees, but she turned it down. And then he insisted she keep the money. So she did. No, you earned this. She's one rupee per person on this train. Yeah. Who earned it? Good. I'm glad that she got a little reward, too. Or yeah. reward. I don't There's know good what 100 people. rupees is. I don't pay enough attention to my surroundings at all to ever be able to contribute in a positive manner like that. <laughs> to contribute to society. This is the extent of it, folks. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. On that note. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, 
or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 